0: man when we listen to lyrics like that what what the song is talking about is that there would be that outward expression of unity that is a reality in the spiritual realm and i just want to pray as we open up god's word romans 15 today that that would be our experience that the spirit of god would take the will of god in the word of god and just uh, do something that that expression of unity would be there for the glory of god to be seen won't you join me in praying let's pray together father we thank you for just the privilege of being able to open up your word in this moment. And we pray that the spirit of God will take your will and the word of God that we read and that he would apply it to our hearts so that we would be one. Father, and the purpose of that is pretty clear that you would be glorified through us, your people, different people from different places with different passions, different opinions on so many things, but we're one in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would learn to live and harness the power of difference for your glory to be seen. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Thanks, guys. Uh, Great to welcome you to week number five of our series entitled The Summer of Love, where we are looking at the one another passages in Romans 12 through 16. Thanks, man. And uh, if you're here and you have a Bible, open it, please, to Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15. And uh, this is what we read in verses 1 through 6. The one another passage is in verse 6, but the context is actually in verses 1 through 6. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything, verse 4, that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind. That's the phrase. May he give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Why? Verse six. So that, purpose clause, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of your of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the purpose of being of the same attitude of mind is for the glory of God to be seen and manifest through us. Now, this phrase, of the same attitude of mind, is used in Romans 12, verse 16 as well. It's translated like this. Live in harmony with one another. It's the same phrase. Same attitude of mind is captured as harmony in chapter 12, verse 16. Now, this tells us something, doesn't it? We've got a number of one another passages, seven, I believe, in Romans 12 through 16. But this one, harmony, same attitude of mind, is actually used twice. It's kind of sandwiched right at the start in in chapter 12 and again in chapter 15. And the reason Paul does this is pretty simple. While unity has been made possible... In Christ, that's Romans 1 through 11. Basically, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jewish Christian worshiping God through Jesus in one of the multiple synagogues in in Rome, whether you are a God-fearer, which was a Gentile who hadn't been circumcised, whether you are now a Gentile follower of Jesus, the reality is that God has made us one. Unity is now possible in Christ. While unity is possible, it hasn't been fully achieved. There are issues... The oneness that is a reality in the spiritual realm needs to flow out into the practical way that this Roman church are actually doing life and ministering together. The fact that it's a reality, but it's not an actuality, is why harmony is necessary. So, the obvious question here is, what is harmony? What is harmony? Now, the word here literally means to think the same thing. So, while unity in Christ is possible, it isn't an actuality, and the pathway to do this is to think the same thing, right? What does that actually mean? Unity is uniformity that we actually need to think the same thing about everything? No. Harmony's foundation… Let me go back one. Harmony is not agreement on all the issues, but it is unity on the essentials. We need to think the same thing on the essentials. What is essential? Romans 1 through 11. But the goal of harmony, and this is important, is not unity but glory. The goal of harmony is not unity but glory. If you're taking notes, write this down. Because if you truly understand this, it can transform the lack of harmony in every relationship that you're involved in. Let me illustrate it like this. Music essentially consists of three elements. You have melody, you have rhythm, and then you have harmony. Now, melody and rhythm are typically responsible for making a piece of music memorable, even enjoyable. But it's this third element, harmony, that can elevate a piece from being really good to something that is truly incredible. You see, melody and rhythm can make any music that we hear, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, for example, it can make it great. But when you add in harmony, it takes that greatness, and it just elevates it to to another level. It gives it a sense of breadth, a sense of depth, and a a sense of emotion that can quite literally make your hair stand on end, that can give you goosebumps. That's what harmony does. So music, we have melody, we have rhythm, and then we have this thing called harmony. Now, hands up, how many of you like singing? Put up your hands, keep them up if you do. Okay, I wish our worship team were here to see this. Because a lot of you don't like singing. Now, the question is, why don't you like singing? Is it because you're not good at it? Keep them up. Seriously, keep them up. Now, when it comes to singing, if you only sing the melody, put your hands down. If you sing harmony, keep your hands up. Okay, do you notice that there are a lot more people who actually sing melody than harmony? Why? You can put your hands down. Harmony is actually a lot harder to do. Have you ever heard harmony go wrong? <laughs> we got a great team up here. And uh, one of the things they do is they, they kind of go through uh, the service, and, and when one of them gets the harmony wrong, if Paul is really good, he's already known this is coming up in the sound booth, and he's muted the mic so you never hear it. <laughs> you know what's, uh, what's interesting right now? Is there a software out there called Pitch Perfector? that can actually perfect someone's pitch when they try to harmonize. Now, we don't use that here, but uh, sometimes it would be good if we did, right? Now, when somebody is trying harmony and they miss it, we know it. What do we say when they miss the harmony? Do we say, wow, they really weren't united? Or do we say, that sucked, The goal of harmony is not unity. The goal of harmony is glory. And when we miss it, we don't comment on the fact, oh, that wasn't unity. We actually say, you know what? There's something missing here. We notice it. We feel it. So music is made up of melody. It's made of rhythm. You can do stuff with melody and rhythm. You add in the harmony and you get it right. Boy, does it work. You, when the harmony is right, you say, wow. When it's right, we don't say, wow, they they really united when they do this. We just go, wow, these guys can sing. We just sense that there's something deeper, something bigger, something broader. That's what harmony does. Harmony's goal is not unity. Harmony's goal is glory. That's why Paul says in verse 6, look, I pray that you would be harmonious. Why? So that... With one heart and with one mouth, you would give glory to God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is this telling us? The harmony's foundation is authentic worship. And by worship, we're not simply talking about music here, but the obvious uh, reason for it with the word harmony, it should be obvious. Harmony's foundation is authentic worship, authentic What's in the heart is coming out of the mouth. One heart, one mouth. And that is actually based on a common confession. What is that common confession? What is that essential that makes harmony work? It is Romans 1 through 11. It is the belief that though this Roman church was made up of Jewish Christians, Gentile God-fearers, and Gentiles, They were one in Jesus Christ, not through anything they had done, but through the sacrifice of the Son of God in flesh. That's the essential. That's the confession. That's what makes them one. And so harmony comes through holding to that common confession, get this, not through a commitment to not cause a scene when these people would disagree. Harmony. How many of you, I wonder are in a marriage relationship where harmony is expressed through you biting your tongue and not saying something when they've done it again. That isn't harmony, that's pursuing peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Don't mistake peace from harmony. Peace indicates that someone is mature enough to preserve the unity, but only harmony moves beyond unity and actually points to glory. I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons why the glory of God isn't seen in the church is because we're practicing peacemaking rather than harmony-making. One of the reasons that our marriages are only okay is because we don't know how to live in harmony and we're only practicing peace. Because you see, if we really understand harmony, we would recognize that harmony is still possible when there's a difference of opinion— Harmony is still possible when there's a difference of opinion on a non-essential matter. As long as we stick to that common confession and we do everything in faith, hope, and love. Harmony is possible even when there are differences of opinion, when our conduct and our character in our relationships emphasizes what we believe in our heart, that Christ has made us one. You see, there are differences of opinion, and some differences of opinion are okay. Other differences in the church need to be confronted. Have a look at this. This is Paul again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 5. I say this to shame you. This is to the Corinthian church. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Paul is saying this isn't harmonious at all. It's not harmonious because a difference of opinion has led to a dispute. And this dispute has divided the unity based on a common confession in Christ. Now, this verse is interesting because Paul clearly is calling the Corinthian leadership to confront a dispute. It's as if the church there thinks that the best thing to do with a dispute is to ignore it, to be silent. Now, differences of opinion are not necessarily wrong, but a dispute is a difference of opinion that has gone wrong. Let me put it this way. How many of you know that harmony in music doesn't have to be particularly harmonious? There is such a thing as dissonant harmony. Dissonant harmony. In Western music, dissonance in music is when two sounds seem unstable and incompatible. Dissonant harmony. That means that when we hear this dissonant harmony, we're hearing two notes played that don't seem to belong together. We hear this audibly, and when we hear dissonant harmony, our entire being craves for consonance, consonant harmony, harmony that seems to belong together, harmony that seems to be sweet. See, we want consonance, not dissonance. But the presence of dissonance doesn't mean the absence of harmony. And here's why. By definition, harmony is simply two notes sounding at the same time. You following this? We could get Nate up here and he could show us dissonant harmony. You'd know what it was straight away because you'd hear it. It feels uncomfortable. It's harmony because harmony is essentially two notes being played at the same time. Oh, that's not harmony. Yes, it is. It's just dissonance. But what we know we desire and we need is for that dissonant harmony to move through the progression of the song to consonance. It needs resolution, but it's still harmony. Put this in the context of our relationships. Put this in the context of the church. Harmony is possible even when there are dissenting opinions on certain things. You know why? Just like two dissonant sounds are still notes on a music score, so two dissonant believers are still God's children in His church. That's the basis. Yes, the dissonance, the difference of opinion demands a resolution, But that consonance, that synergy, that harmony, get this, doesn't happen when one of you stops playing your note. Harmony is not possible through silencing one. Harmony is possible when two people who are singing, playing a different note, recognize that they need to work through this to bring resolution. If harmony in your relationships, in your marriage, in our church, in our country even, is coming because someone decides to stay quiet, what we have is melody, not harmony. The challenge with harmony is how to deal with difference. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, we deal with difference by holding to what unites us, our common confession. Because when we hold to our common confession, and there is all of this difference, and yet this difference doesn't seem to destroy the unity, God gets the glory. You, you know, it's really funny. I hear people all the time say, oh, I just longed for my church to be different, to have unite different people from different places. And I'm like, are you really prepared for what that costs? You champion your opinion and your thoughts and your positions more than anyone. Are you really ready for this? And the answer is we're not, because we're not of the same mind. We don't know what it means to live in harmony. We think harmony happens by just ignoring all of the issues that are really destroying us or dividing us. All of those things are actually too big to talk about, because if we do, guess what? None of us are mature enough to hold to the common confession. Let's just be honest. This is clearly what it is. This is why Paul uses this phrase twice. He says, Listen, you've got to realize that the end goal of harmony isn't unity. So, in other words, it isn't going to happen by some of us just staying quiet. No, the end goal of harmony is glory. And to get to the glory, we need to go through the difficulty. Can we do it? Because these things are big things. And it's interesting that Romans 15, 1 through 6, where Paul begins to talk about this, follows Romans 14. Now, that's not a math thing. Yes, in English, 15 follows 14, right? It's actually to do with the flow of the argument. Romans chapter 14 talks about what is essentially called the ideophora. The Lutheran church loves this in their confessions and everything else. They put loads of these ideophora in there. The ideophora is the indifferent things. Romans 14 talks about three indifferent things, non-essential things that the church were actually arguing about that was destroying the harmony. Why? Because there was a difference of opinion? No, because they were talking about these things, putting as much passion on these things, as much fervor on these things, that it was actually enabling people on the outside of the church to look at this and think, this is the church? So, the idea fora is essentially those things that are neither commanded nor prohibited because they do not affect salvation. Now, does that mean they're not important? Of course they're important. The details do matter. But in discussing the details that matter, we have to be aware that the way we do this either brings dissonant harmony, which can lead to division, which doesn't give glory to God, or the dissonance through discerning the mind of Christ leads to consonance that enables people to look and say, wow, there is something about this people. And so, in Romans 14, there are three at that had the potential to destroy the community. This is what it is, what they ate, you remember that Peter in Acts chapter 10, one of the most revealing incidents in his ministry was when he had a vision. He's staying in Joppa, and he has a vision of, of God bringing a sheep down from heaven with all of these unclean animals on there. And God, through the Spirit, speaks to him and said, Peter, take these animals, kill and eat. And he said, God, I can't do that. Why? Because there are certain things that you couldn't eat. And then God says, Peter, you cannot say that something that I have created is unclean. And what is happening here is that this was a vision preparing Peter for what God would do in welcoming the Gentiles into the church. And what characterized these Gentiles was their willingness to eat non-kosher food. That's just a big deal for a Jew. What we eat is a big deal for many of us too. What they ate. Now again, the Roman church had... Multiple Jewish believers there who would have attended multiple synagogues, and then the God fearers were added to it, Gentiles that weren't circumcised, and then you get the 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 Gentiles coming in. And the positions on this were completely different. And guess what? It mattered. It mattered. But Paul reminds them: hey, wait a minute. As important as this is, this is an adiaphora, this isn't essential for salvation. You gotta work this through. Then he talks about the holidays they observed. Jews had definite holidays. What did the church do? Did they have to follow those or not? The the pagans, the Gentiles had holidays too. What did the Gentiles have to do? Give those up? We have that today, right, with the Jehovah's Witnesses and Christmas. Don't you realize this foundation of this is idolatrous? We shouldn't be doing this. It's as if anybody that does actually loses their salvation or something a non-essential thing that even today is raised to the essential. Did it matter back then? You bet it did. The third thing here is what they drank, the wine. Now, in a holiness church like ours, that's mattered for us too. And we have to ask ourselves, are we given the message that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need Christ and abstinence? Now, is it wise sometimes to abstain? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to be careful of the message, don't we? Because the details actually matter. And see, here's the reality. The more connected you are to one of these things, the harder the harmony becomes. If somebody in here spoke to someone after the first service who's battling addiction, the very fact that we have the addiction to alcohol and is now sober, the very fact that they are sober and that we take the stand we do is really helpful for them. That's their framing story. See, where our emotional connection is on some of these things actually impacts on our ability to live in harmony because what we're talking about here isn't about the head. It's actually about the heart. That's what makes it hard. Now, the question in a lot of this is, so how do we deal with it? Now, what Paul does is Paul says, hey, here's what... uh, Here's what, I want you to, here's what I want you to realize. I want you to realize that these issues are issues that you're facing, but if you know the, the New Testament, you'd realize that there were issues like this that were common in every church. We've got them too, right? Every church, every culture has got its idea for. What are ours? What are, what are some of the things that in our context here, that we may kind of recognize that these are non-essential but we treat them in our conversations in our dialogue with one another as if they are essential and through our unwillingness to ensure that the devotion of our heart based on a common confession matches the way that we talk about these things we've caused division that results in God God not getting glorified in our community in the way that he should every culture's got them every church has got them we've got them too Now, what I'd like you to do for a moment is allow me just to be Craig for a second. Can you do that? I know I'm in this position and I'm the pastor of this church, but I just want to be Craig, who's a Brit, for just a second. I'm not English, I'm Welsh. I just want to be Welsh Craig for a moment. And this Welsh Craig, through the providence and the will of God, was led from Germany over to America, the first church I'd pastored in America. And uh, this church had moved from uh, one location in November. And uh, I came in in the January, and I'd been there about a week, and somebody came to me, a group of people came to me, and they said, what are you going to do with the American flag in the worship center? Yes, I really went there. Do you feel it? You feel it? Because now it's a little bit real, Right? What they ate, the holidays they observed, what they drank. Hopefully what some of you are feeling right now is actually an appreciation for this text beyond your head. See, because this is a culture thing. Because where I come from, we don't put flags in the worship center. Because our culture, my culture, doesn't honor the flag as a symbol in a way that this culture did. And so immediately when I was asked that question, I went, oh, Jesus. And by the way, I do that, not because I cuss, but because the first thing I do when I'm asked a question like that is ask Jesus for help because I need it. I'd never experienced anything like this before. And what became pretty clear to me was that this flag issue and his presence in the worship center was an adiaphora. It was a non-essential thing that we could do, we didn't have to do, but it didn't affect our salvation. But unfortunately, the conversation in the church in the two months before I got there were actually made it one. By the way, American flag over there, Christian flag over there. Now, some of you came to me when I got here and said, are you going to make the flag more prominent? And we haven't. No, you can. You can't. It's a non-essential thing. But the point I'm getting to with this is, do you feel it? Do you feel it? Because church, our nation is feeling it right now. They're feeling it. And part of the problem we've got is that there are now issues that our nation is facing that have found their way into the church and is now destroying the unity of the church. And our ability to deal with difference, difference of opinion, our inability to converse through it has a consequence. The consequence isn't a lack of unity. The consequence is the glory of God that should be seen in the church is being lost. That's why harmony is so important. And over the last couple of years, whenever I've tried to share a framing story, invariably what's happened is that I've (laughs) received a, a kickback. Again, I got no problem with difference of opinion, but I got every problem when we take something that is non-essential and we elevate it with so much passion and so much fervor to essential status that destroys the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. That's wrong. Again, the details matter, folks. The details matter. Do you think it didn't matter what they ate? Paul even says for some of the Jews, he said, look, if you've got a problem with this in your conscience, and your conscience doesn't allow you to eat this, then don't do it because it's right for you. The details matter. It's not as if the, the position on immigration or gun laws or taxation or health care don't matter. They really matter. But Paul says, with such differences of opinion that are possible, please make sure that as you discuss them, you don't lose sight of the fact that harmony is not lost when there's a difference of opinion. Harmony is lost when the differences trump the common confession we hold in Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that we are struggling to talk about the big issues is we don't take time to get to know one another and discuss the small issues. That's why if we really want people to see the glory of God in the church, we have to move away from thinking that Sunday attendance is all it's going to take. We will never be able to glorify God in the differences and find the mind of Christ together on the big things if we don't take time to get to know one another and trust one another in the small things. See, once you get to know me, You'd realize that i defend this nation to all of these pastors over the world that say, what are you doing to the American church? My last response just last week was, I'm sick and tired of pastors like you talking about the struggles of the American church, the most generous church in the entire world, when the impotence of your own you're ignoring. I love this country. But I'll tell you what, there needs to be a common commitment that we have to commune in the small things. This is what Paul expects. Isn't it true that the more time you spend with someone who's different to you, the more you realize they're different to you? How many of you got married and you didn't realize that your wife squeezed the toothpaste from the middle? Ah, first time it didn't bother you, right? Five years in, it's like, come on. What do you do with that? You get two toothpaste tubes, right? (laughs) Or you move to the little carton. The reality is the more time you spend with people, the more this stuff matters. But in order to get to the big things, we need to spend time with people to work through this little thing that actually lays the foundation to work through the bigger things. This is Paul's point. And so Paul's advice in here, in dealing with this, is pretty simple. He, he goes to the strong in Romans chapter 14, and he says, look, you who are strong, and I'll explain that to him in a second, this is what I want you to do in this, because the, the, the experience of harmony actually comes through you. He says, it is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fail. You who are strong, exercise your freedom in Christ and essentially, essentially, okay, deal with our adiaphora in a way that honors God and prioritizes the grace of God. Now, this is an important caveat as we get into this. Paul is talking about how the church dealt with the issues internally amongst themselves. He's not talking about how they dealt with it externally. I have to to say that. Now, how do we deal with this? The strong, hey, those of you who are strong, basically exercise your freedom in Christ, realizing that it is Christ alone, not Christ and what you eat or what you drink or the days that you observe. Recognize this Christ alone, but recognize your responsibility to express the grace of God to someone who is weak. And in chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, he gives us three lessons in what to do. And I'm going to wrap up with the fourth. The first thing is this. He said, listen, if you want to pursue harmony in the church, then this is what needs to happen. The strong need to bear with the weak. Now, this term strong is an interesting word. The the term strong ultimately is a term that in the Old Testament could be used for David's mighty men. The strong is essentially those people who have such strength, such power that they are capable of dominating another person. This isn't a physical power. This is an enlightened power, especially with regard to how the grace of God works. Now, Paul considers himself one of the strong, Romans 15 verse 1. Who are the others? Well, have a look at Romans chapter 16, and he just gives an entire list Of people who would be the strong. Probably a number of the Gentiles in there would be considered some of the strong. They just understand the grace of God in a way that a number of the Jewish believers do not. So Paul on these issues in chapter 14 actually feels more at one with those liberated Jews and those Gentiles than he does with the majority of his own people. He recognizes that he's strong. He recognizes that he possesses the intellectual capacity to rip these weak people to shreds. But he says that is not the right thing to do if you want harmony. You are to bear with the weak. Now, the word weak is the better translation than the word failing. Failure implies like a moral or an ethical failure, right? But that's not the fullness of the term. The term weakness here talks about an incapability, an incapacity, an incompetency. They're just not able to do it. Not able to do what? Grasp the reality of grace. Grasp the extent of grace, the freeing power of grace, the richness of grace. They they just can't do it. And so these people, as a result of not being able to understand the freedom of grace that makes all people one, they basically elevate those incidental things to the essential things, and they basically communicate with a passion and a fervor about this that just turns people off. Their inability to grasp the power of grace causes them to demand additional behaviors that basically the grace of God doesn't demand. And in their interactions, Paul says, in your interactions with these weak believers in that setting, just bear with them, bear with them. What does that mean? Tolerate them? No. The word bear here is exactly the same word that's used of Jesus where he bears our sins in his body. It talks about an incarnational an identification with them. In 15.3, Romans 15.3, Christ is shown to exemplify this approach by being willing to take the insults that should have been ours on himself or the insults that should have been taken to God, given to, were given to God, he takes them on his own body, in his own body. In chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, Jesus is shown to die for them. And so, this idea of bearing calls us to fully appreciate the weakness, the lack of strength, this idea that they have to continually do something to get right with God that is so disempowering, that that is so binding that they'll never experience the power of God for themselves. So, when it comes to... Pursuing harmony, we don't stay quiet. We focus on grace, and we bear, we step in, we identify with the struggle, and from this moment, we try and bring the grace of God in. It's a completely different angle. Secondly, we, are, we need to be aware, of verse 1, Paul says as well, don't be self-serving. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, listen, pursuing harmony demands self-awareness self-awareness just this week i went into pastor mike and i said okay mike i've got a couple of things coming up this week i told him what they were over the next couple of weeks and months and i've got a really strong opinion about some of these things but you know what i know mike i know that sometimes my opinion isn't god's will and so what i need you to do is i need you to keep me in check here i need you to help me be aware of where my disposition on these things lies See, pursuing the mind of Christ and getting harmony, that's what it demands, self-awareness. Are you aware of what you think and why? Again, the details matter. There's nothing wrong with your opinion. But notice what Paul says. In my judgment, she, a single woman, is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I have the Spirit of God in that. Is that what he's saying? Or is Paul recognizing that on some things he's got an opinion and he's not necessarily sure whether that is exactly the wise thing to do all of the time. Because if Paul actually establishes that as a standard, there's going to be a standard for all people all of the time. And he doesn't want to do that. And let me ask you, when it comes to discussing those things that result in a lack of harmony in your relationships, do you know your own default position and why? Be self-aware. Don't pursue your own desires. Thirdly, build up your neighbor. Harmony requires we build up our neighbor. The parable of the Good Samaritans is a great example of this, right? The question was, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns it around and basically says, you be the good neighbor. And all through Romans, Paul has actually shown that Jesus is the example of this. Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what we've got to do, Paul says. Make the example of Christ your experience, and what you will discover is that that identification will result in the transformation of the weak. Lastly here, this is if Paul is saying, look, guys, one another. One another, one another. One another. One of the obvious takeaways from Romans 14 and 15 is that Paul expected Jewish Christians, Gentile God-fearers and Gentile Christians to one another, one another, to commune so closely that what they ate, what they drank, the days that they observed would be noticed. How How would they have known that these things were the issue? Not necessarily because of gossip, although that was obviously a part of it, but because they actually live closely enough for their lives to be observed. Again, live closely with someone different from you, and soon enough you will notice those differences, and then in that moment this message will go from your head to your heart because some of those things, some of those decisions you would never make. See, the point is communing with people shines the spotlight on our differences. And as long as that stays with us and we have the ability to talk about that, it's great. But the minute those differences start to impact on other people, that's where the problem sets in. Let me begin to wrap this up with a story. It was 1999 vipka and i were living in london we had three young kids we had a buggy which is like a stroller double buggy this double buggy was so wide that we couldn't get it through the you know the aisles in the in the cash out and the the checkouts in the supermarkets so vipka hated going shopping on her own she really did she hated it and so i would invariably have to go with her so it's 1999 we were in an asda supermarket you won't know that but asda is owned by walmart does that tell you okay that's where we were and we were in a in a supermarket and we got to the got to the checkout and the checkout clock was there and and uh, basically we were you know I'm just putting stuff on the on the conveyor belt and all of a sudden the, the clock just starts laughing I'm like I oh, thought that's weird and I looked at Vipka and Vipka was laughing too and I look at her, I look at Vipka, and I'm thinking would somebody tell me what's going on? And then the, 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 the clerk basically said to Vipka, has he always done this? I'm like, and Vipka's like, yeah, we've been married for seven years, and every time we go shopping, he does this. She starts laughing again. And she's like, does he know what he looks like? No, I don't think he does. And I'm like, do you two want to tell me what's going on here? And Vipka says, Craig, for seven years, whenever we've gone shopping, I pick the stuff out of the cart, I put it on the conveyor belt, and you've rearranged it. <laughs> Come on, guys. How many of you have done the same thing? Because the details matter, right? How many of you know that if you get the heavy stuff, right, in the wrong order, it squashes the fruit? And have, you, have you done that? How many of you know if you put the frozen stuff in the wrong bag, it can get to the freezer too late? The details matter. But, you know, in that moment, I discovered something. I discovered that I was organizing Our little private world, in such a way that it now impacted on somebody looking at our relationship, drawing a wrong conclusion. And I suddenly realized in that moment that Vipka had been the strong one for seven years in our relationship, born with the weak, (laughs) and actually preserved the harmony because she was the strong one. I'd like to be able to tell you that that temptation to reorganize all of the shopping has gone. <laughs> there are times when I catch Vipka looking at me and smiling, and I'm doing it again. <laughs> but I've just recognized, I recognize that one stupid little example that the things we do in how we try to organize our world, when other people look at it they can question the nature of our union. Church, what is true for us in marriage is also true for us in community. The differences matter because they're impacting other people. What we decide about gun laws, immigration, health care, taxation. All of these issues are starting to stream into the church, and the details really, really, really do matter. But unless we learn to discuss the differences that don't really matter in community, even though doing so will expose us to differences that other people have with us that are really going to irritate us, how will we ever learn to discuss the things that do matter? See, Harmony, Paul says in this text, and wrapping up with this, requires endurance and encouragement as much as it does education and enlightenment. Isn't it interesting that, that twice in this text, in Romans 15, Paul says endurance and encouragement. Do you know what we need in order to preserve harmony? Patience. That's what that word endurance means, patience. And notice what Paul does. How do we get patience then when we're so annoyed? You know what Paul does, he says, start to read the Bible. Now he's talking to Hebrew Christians, right, whose Bible at that point was simply the Old Testament. He's saying, look back at the Old Testament. Why would Paul do that? I'll tell you why. If you want a perfect example of patience, you go and look at how God the Father was patient with his people who never got it over and over and over again. You'll never see more patience than this. You want an example of patience? When you're really struggling to bite your tongue, when you're really likely to blow that common confession, start to read the Bible and realize how patient God has been with us. And in that moment, endurance patience leads to encouragement. Why? Because we realize that there is hope, that God sent His Son, that God is doing a work in changing people's lives. And yet so many of us, we try to bring harmony either by being silent, which is not harmony, it's melody, that's peacemaking, blessed be the peacemakers, but that doesn't give God glory, or we will try and educate and enlighten other people. There's a time for that. But I think what we need in our church, what we need in our nation is for Christians who are willing to be twice as quick to patience and to encouragement as we are to seek to educate and enlighten. That's essentially what we need. Let me wrap up with this. Unless our eyes are open to our own propensity to organize our own world our way, on those things that never matter, we'll never be able to have an honest conversation about anything. But friends, harmony isn't reached through silence. It's reached through patience. I don't know whether there is harmony in your relationship right now, but. I just want to pray that as the team sing this song, as the song make us one for the one, I pray that God would give you that patience to not quit. I pray that as, as God starts to do a work in your heart, you would be encouraged. Because what we need more than anything else is a harmonious church. And harmony doesn't happen when we close our mouths. Harmony happens when we hold to our common confession, even when it's so hard to do. Let us Let us be that type of church. Won't you join me in praying? Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray that as we sing this song, for some of us it may be new, as we engage in the words, I pray that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we would be filled with compassion and love for those people that you placed in our lives. Where impatience and a desire to quit is our emotion right now in some of our relationships. May we, Father, in Jesus' name, receive patience and endurance and encouragement from you. And the reason we do that, Father, is not so that we would be united, is that you would get the glory because there is nothing more glorious than different people from different places with different opinions on things that really do matter, maintaining a unity that nothing, not even the gates of hell can destroy. God, build that kind of unity, a unity based on Christ that keeps Christ first and above all else. And Father, we do that, we strive for that, for your glory and for your fame in this town This nation in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray.